This is Small Biz Florida, the podcast designed and produced specifically for Florida small business owners and entrepreneurs. Small Biz Florida, talk that works for Florida. This podcast is supported by the Florida SBDC Network, providing the tools, strategies, and expertise to help Florida's business community thrive. Visit the Florida SBDC online at www.floridasbdc.org or contact your local office and get started on your path to success today. This is Small Biz Florida, the podcast and broadcast that's all things business across the state of Florida. And if you've been tuning in lately, you know we're coming to you from the Grand Hyatt in Tampa. We are here attending the Florida SBDC Network's first annual Small Business Success Summit. I got to tell you, incredible place to be, an incredible summit. And we have with us right now the keynote speaker that that kicked off the whole event, incredible presentation, uh, very informative, very interesting uh, information. We have with us Dr. Andre Perry. Dr. Perry, welcome to Small Biz Florida. Wow, thanks for having me, Small Biz Florida. <laughs> I'm here. You are here. Listen, you have you have arrived, Dr. Perry. You, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I am here, live in the flesh, and it's right. a pleasure to be with you and this important podcast and it's an honor to be here at this important conference yeah well you're i gotta tell you dr perry i've been to been to a number of presentations over the last couple of months as we've hit some conferences i gotta tell you a plus man incredible incredible presentation incredible information valuable information uh that you presented but we're going to talk about that and looking forward to the conversation but you are with the brookings institute so uh as i start with all guests uh, dr perry just maybe a little bit of background on yourself and kind of your pathway uh to the brookings institution oh man Uh, my pathway (laughs) was not the typical one you're you're too young to have a long pathway here dr perry I, I'm, I'm I'm 51, so it's it's a, yeah. it's a decent uh, <laughs> uh, length of time. But um, you know, I'll, I'll, I will start off with the Brookings Institution. It's a, a preeminent uh, Washington D.C.-based think tank. We do public policy research um, in an effort to try to inform federal, state, and local policy. Um, and it is, I mean, a place that does incredible research. We have a long-standing history of doing good work, and we have some of the top minds, um, notwithstanding uh, me in, the, in there. But um, you know, but my route to there was a little bit uh, circuitous in the, in a sense of um, I, I have a, a path that I talked about in my presentation. Um, um, on, on, on valuing um, black assets. And I, and I start off the, my presentation talking about my family background, in which, uh, as the story was told to me before I was born, my, um, a woman by the name of Elsie Boyd, she was an older woman. She was 63 when I was born, but she reached out to my maternal grandmother and to say she was going to take me in. They planned to take for, for um, my mother to give me up and to take me into her, her household in 1320 Hill Avenue, Wilkinsburg, PA. And that the circumstances of w- were which the, my mother was poor. She already had a child when she was 15, had me when she was 17. She was probably abused. Um, my father was a heroin addict and um, he was incarcerated. He eventually murdered in prison outside of Detroit. 
And um, but I was reared in a, in a household full of kids, black kids, white kids, um, biracial kids. Um, some would stay a few weeks, some would stay a few months. I stayed um, until I graduated from high school, so from birth to graduation from high school. And and I say that just to lay out the context that I grew grew up in a house that is now valued at thirteen to thirty thousand dollars. And I started doing research on that house. And I started looking down the road to another community that was uh, just lighter hued than uh, the community I looked at. And, and I saw that the home values were significantly different. So um, the context of my talk, I, I'll, and I'll share more about the data in just a second, but it was really to, to, to say, hey, we have assets in our communities that we should be investing in. And, um, and the more I talk on this podcast, you'll, you'll figure out why. Nice. And you, um, kind of the, the, uh, the culmination of all of your work and gathering the data that you've been working on is you've, you've published a book. Uh, know Your Price, uh, Valuing Black Lives and Property in America's Black Cities. Um, talk a little bit about the book and, uh, and, and kind of what we can look forward to. Because, uh, yeah. I'm, of course, I've told you I want my copy, so um, yeah. I'm going to get one ASAP. But uh, talk a little bit about the book and, 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 and the message in this book. Yeah. You know, so um, undergirding the... the the, the book is the home values that I'd started to talk about. Uh, I, I looked at um, homes in black neighborhoods where the share of the black population is 50% or higher. And uh, I compared them in a 2018 study to um, homes in areas where the share of the black po- population is less than a percent. And, you know, when you do that comparison without controlling for variables, just looking at the overall price, you find that homes in black neighborhoods are worth about half as much than homes in um, white neighborhoods, um, where the share of the black population is less than a percent. It's about 380,000 compared to 184,000, roughly. Um, But when you look at that... um, those numbers and you say, oh, homes in black neighborhoods neighborhoods are worth half as much. Yeah, that's because of education. That's because of crime. That's what a lot of people say. But those are things you can control for in a study. And that's what we did. So we controlled for education, crime, walkability, all those fancy Zillow metrics. And what we found after you control for those things, there's still a price difference. There's still a price difference between homes and black neighborhoods and their equivalents in, 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 in white neighborhoods, black neighborhoods and white neighborhoods. And, and what we found is that the homes in black neighborhoods are, on average, priced 23% less, or about 48000 per home. Cumulatively, that's about $156 billion in lost equity. $156 billion and lost equity, and it's an, a, a big number. Um, and and why, why it brings me to a business conference, people are saying, you know, why are you talking about housing in a business conference? Because most people start their equity, uh, start their businesses using the equity in their home. Yeah, great point. So um, not surprisingly, that $156 billion would have financed $4 million um, black-owned businesses based upon the average amount black people use to start their firms. 
Not only that, it would have paid for more than 8 million four-year degrees based upon the average amount of a four-year public education, would have replaced the pipes in Flint, Michigan 3,000 times over. It's more than double the annual economic burden of the opi opioid crisis. It's, it's a big number. Big number. And the, and the reason why I, I brought that up is my father, who was a heroin addict, um, if he lived in a neighborhood where the home values are higher, he would have had greater opportunity to start a business, go to school. He would have had better resource schools. Um, he had, would have had better infrastructure, better policing. Um, his drug use probably would not be criminalized. He, his life and my life would have been fundamentally different. And that's why I always say that there's nothing wrong with black people that ending racism can't solve. And I say that because oftentimes when we look at black communities, we talk about problems and choices, and we don't see the opportunities. Um, what I try to do with my research is show that there is opportunity um, and there are underappreciated assets, chiefly being people. Um, but it comes out of the wash, how we value people comes out of the wash and how we value homes. But um, it's such an important lever. Um, if I can briefly just mention one other study, what we did, we did the same thing with businesses. Um, we tried to get a sense of uh, business value. Um, this time we got used business revenue. We got the race of the owner of the business. And we scraped all the Yelp data um, that's available. Um, and then again, controlling for education, spending power, a number, number of variables to get an apples-to-apples -apples comparison again. And what we found is that businesses, black, brown, and Asian-owned firms are, are rated as high, if not higher, than their white counterparts, but they get fewer stars when they're situated in black neighborhoods and fewer revenue as a result. And I, and I brought up the fact that our elders used to have a saying that is relevant in this case. They would say, our ice is just as cold. Our ice is just as cold. They knew intuitively um, and anecdotally that our businesses are, 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 in many cases, are just as good. They're just not getting the level of investment they right. deserve. And so when you don't get the level of investment, you don't get um, economic development, you don't get community development, and you get the communities that you get. And obviously there is an entire social side to this issue that you've brought up in the study that you've done in terms of, of the value of homes and, and businesses. But beyond the social value, this really turns into economics. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. Who, who is the audience for this message? Is it, is it cities and counties that, that, that are kind of maybe, maybe cities and counties need to look inward and say, have we got an have we got an undervalued asset within our yeah. our our uh, you know our marketplace? Is that is that the the, the audience for this? Well, I, I actually got a, a couple of audiences. One, I I I do direct my message to cities and counties to say, look, you're losing revenue every day when you don't invest in um, black in brown communities, if you're not increasing home ownership, if you're not increasing business ownership, you're really losing revenue. Um, just to put it in perspective, black people represent about 14% of the population. 
but only 2% of our employer firms, the nation's employer firms, firms with more than one employee. If the share of employer firms matched the black population share, we would have um, 800,000 more businesses. 800,000 more businesses added to the economy. Trillions of dollars added to the economy. I mean, and this is happening in metropolitan areas all over Florida. So my message is, is pretty clear. It's, 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 it, there is a moral, I always say this is a moral imperative. Right. And, but there is also economic gain um, when we invest in the assets that should be valued higher in the first place. Right. So, um, so in my, there's another message, though. It's also to people who are dealing with this. Um, I, I, I talk about my favorite play in the whole wide world. It's Two Trains Running by August Wilson, the great playwright from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And, he, um, and in the play, Two Trains Running, the main character, Memphis, is about to have his business seized. He had a restaurant seized through eminent domain because uh, they're building the civic arena at the time, and they're going to seize his property to... Um, because they're, they're purchasing a property uh, around that, um, that site. And they offer him $15,000, to which he says, no, I'm not selling my property for $15,000. I know my price. I got my price. It's a, it's a, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but it's a refrain throughout the play. There's another character, Hambone, who um, makes a deal with a proprietor. He says, I'll paint your fence if you give me a ham. He paints the fence, but the proprietor never gives him his ham. He says, give me my ham. Give me my ham throughout the play. And we don't know if he has a mental illness or, or some kind of issue before um, he paints the fence, but he eventually goes mad and dies demanding his ham. Now, there is a happy ending. Um, the main character, Memphis, oh, eventually after saying, I'm not selling, I, I got my price, I know my price, he gets his price. He gets $35,000, which it is assumed he's getting now the market rate or the white rate. Now, the more of the story is you got to have worth. You got to know you have worth. Um, the, what I try to do with my research and my book is give people the price to stand on. But I don't want them to go mad and die demanding their ham. I want them to thrive. And that's why I'm here to say we need to support each other in this work because it's, it's literally taxing. It's literally taxing us. Right. And, and when you talk about the addition the potential addition of all these new businesses that could come about with an increased value of this property and businesses. There's employment. There's an employment. employment whole employment aspect to this, right? Yeah. Um, we also look at the, um, the hundreds, I mean, millions of jobs created in Florida. In Florida alone, if we found ways to increase the share of employer firms, black-owned employer firms in, in Florida. And then the revenue, the, um, the, the payroll, the gain is um, hundreds of, of billions of dollars. Um, so everyone's to gain from this. The economy grows. I, I said in, in, in this, in this um, conference, I said that when the next inevitable uh, economic shock hits, the next pandemic, the next hurricane, the next whatever, housing collapse happens. Um, 
we shouldn't have to shell out trillions of dollars in yeah. stimulus. Uh, people should have the natural buffers of wealth to help them withstand these crises. And right now, a lot of people don't, but they should. They should have greater equity in their home. They should have um, greater business revenue, more businesses. They should have a more of a, a cushion, but we don't. So when these things happen, guess what? We have right. to, the federal government has to step in. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that, but I'm saying that we wouldn't have to do that at the levels right. that we do if people had the natural buffer yeah. of wealth. Makes sense. What, what is the advice, Dr. Perry? What, what, oh, what do we do? No, you got to know your price, <laughs> one. But my, more importantly, it's to figure out that there are there's strength. Um, in particular, I, th I want to figure out ways to in increase home ownership and business ownership. You do that by what I say very plainly, cut the check. Um, we need to, to let out um, um, more down payment assistance. Um, more uh, grants and loans to, for entrepreneurs to start yeah. businesses. Um, we also need um, to invest in the places that see devaluation. Because of a lack of revenue, um, we see less beautification. We see um, less refurbishing of main streets. Um, so we do need to invest in place, but we got to be careful not just to invest in place and not people, because if you invest in place and not people, property values increase and people will be pushed out. So you, you got to do both. And then finally, we got to remove um, barriers or, or, or policies and practices that extract wealth every day. Um, you know, I, I talk to uh, the appraisal industry a lot, and we know that the price comparison model where one um, home is compared to another in a neighborhood is fraught, uh, largely because um, when you compare one home to another in a neighborhood that's been uh, discriminated against, you recycle the discrimination over and over again. And so we, we, there's new ways to measure um, value in homes. There's new ways to uh, get a value from businesses. We got to explore those innovations. And there's a business opportunity in that. So we should be investing in in, in, in business people right. who can do that. So, but the right. the bottom line is we need to invest our way to to success. Right. Nothing grows without investment. The more we invest, the more we grow. Um, the better off we are. And, you know, you mentioned, speaking of that whole investment aspect, you mentioned in the presentation that there's people out there who have figured this out and are are actually, you know, turning a problem into an opportunity. That, that yeah. They realize that some of this property is undervalued. There are opportunities uh, in low-income census tract uh, marketplace. Is that is that a fair yeah. statement, too? Um, SBDC, let me send a shout-out. There are... Um, members, network members who are doing good work in community now, like identifying um, the black businesses, identifying the brown businesses, identifying the main streets they need to refurbish. And I say, said this in the, in the conversation, we need to focus on strength. You know, we have strong business owners. We have strong communities. Um, the more we talk about deficits, um, the, the less it leads to investment. No one invests in deficits. No one invests in problems. Right. They invest in strength. And so my advice is to identify the strengths, the underappreciated um, assets, if you will, in the community and, and invest in them. 
Um, and, and, and I think SBDC, Florida SBDC is doing just that. And that this is what this conference is about. And um, I'm encouraged because we're not going to get out of these problems without investment. And so I'm encouraged by the people doing good work. And I got to ask you a question, too, because we, we, we hear so much about it, especially in, in some of our marketplaces, too. But a lot of times in these minority communities, minority business districts specifically, there's talk of, a, of an underground economy where there is a lot going on, but we don't, it doesn't look like, um, you know, t- typical yeah. business districts. Is that a fair statement? It, yeah, I mean, it, there's underground economies everywhere it, except for what a lot of people have considered a side hustle. Right. They they should be businesses. They should right. they should be operating out of a main right. street. Um, we should be encouraging property ownership on the main street, business ownership on the main street, and moving away from the side hustle. Yeah, good. You know, yeah. thing and because you know, there's. I mean, what we saw during the pandemic, the number one racial category of of starting businesses were, was in, in the number one areas for new startups were in black communities. And what we found is that mostly black women, um, but black men as well, but mostly black women use their stimulus checks to start new businesses. Right. And um, they're micro firms, but those are firms that should be incubated right. and, 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 yeah. and scaled. So, um, there, we see the strength. We see the opportunity. We just got to get down to business. No pun, no pun intended. Get to business and, 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 and scale these, these businesses up. Well, listen, you have done an incredible job of, um, of kind of reviewing what was a great presentation, lots of incredibly robust, valuable data. You've done a great job of condensing that into our little 20-minute interview. So, so are you wanna- saying I should have <laughs> kept it to 20 minutes and not like a whole hour? No, no, no. Okay. Great work, great work. <laughs> Uh, well, listen, you, I, do I need to tell you you stood outside after the presentation, man? People all crowded around you. You, you were out here for an hour answering questions. So, uh, again, very informative. I know everyone in the room uh, enjoyed the presentation and, and really understood the value in the presentation. So what I want to do is make sure people know how to get in touch with you and how to find that book. So how do we do that? Yeah, on social media, I can be found at Andre Perry EDU at Andre Perry EDU and people can find Know Your Price Valuing Black Lives and Property in America's Black Cities wherever fine books are sold. Only fine books. Only fine (laughs) books wherever. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, getting my dozen copies and spreading uh, spreading the book around the, the Treasure Coast to some to some key players. It was uh, incredible information. Um, you obviously have spent a lot of time uh, gathering data, doing research, and it showed in the presentation. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, it is Dr. Andre Perry. Uh, with the Brookings Institution. Uh, again, uh, one more time, how can we find you on the internet? Yeah, Andre at Andre Perry EDU on all social media channels. All right. So uh, this is Small Biz Florida coming to you from the uh, first annual Small Business Success Summit brought to you by the Florida SBDC Network. Uh, Dr. Perry, we appreciate your presentation, your attendance here, and appreciate your time here on Small Biz Florida. Thanks for having me, Tom. 
So stick with us. There's going to be more segments coming to you from uh, the conference right here at the Grand Hyatt in Tampa. This is Small Biz Florida. This has been Small Biz Florida, created and produced by the Florida Small Business Development Center at Indian River State College. Your host for Small Biz Florida is Tom Kindred. Partners for Small Biz Florida include WPSL and WSTU and Indian River State College, named the 2019 winner of the Aspen Prize for Community College Excellence.